Welcome to the original DAL Iconography. I'm your host, James Rodriguez. On this show, I unpackage music with the people who create it. And at the same time, we give back to charity. For more information, follow me on Instagram, the.original.dal. And this is what's been amazing. Today's episode, we're going to be talking to a couple returning guests. We're going to be talking to Jason Bloom about his work with Backstreet Boys and Alan Rich about his work with Whitney Houston and... NSYNC. Now, for those first-time listeners, thank you so much for joining me. And for those returners, welcome back. And as with every episode of the original Dial, any audio recording ripping stealing is strictly prohibited in every country in the world. So if you see anything leaked, please report it to the webmaster. And a big shout out to my Patreon patrons. Because of you, we can keep this thing going. To join, go to theoriginaldial.com. And what's been amazing is learning about all these great stories. So if you are a fan of music, if you're a fan of the creative process, go back through Apple Podcasts podcast and spotify look through the song list and see hey is there one of your favorite songs in there click on it and learn about the people in the room creating it we get to learn so many great things so we're going to get right to the show thank you so much and don't forget to follow and rate on apple podcast and spotify now on with the show so we are back today and i got so many great comments and and letters of love about your continual work in the pop realm, because we all know that you've done pop, you've done country, you've done R&B. And I think that there's something nostalgic about those 90s and early 2000 songs. Mm -hmm. We talked about Britney Spears. You know, we talked about all of these, these other great things, Jason. And we have so many questions that I got and so many just like thumbs up from people about Backstreet Boys, because you're one of those few people that worked not only with Britney Spears, but also with the Backstreet Boys. Yeah. That some people were like, hey, we worked with one, we were happy. You worked with both. And I'm assuming several other of their contemporaries, which which we'll go into soon. So we actually had a great question. This was kind of along the lines of songwriting, the song Back to Your Heart. Now, Mm -hmm. it has been said that the song was written about Kevin Richardson after he broke up with his girlfriend, his now wife. Mm -hmm. How do you work on a song that might be very personal to an artist singing it? What other boy bands have you worked with? And do you always get something so personal from them? That is from Jackson in Canada. Listen, Jackson, let me tell you, Jackson and everybody else, you're going to be very disappointed to hear the truth. I've heard this story that Kevin um, wrote this song about his girlfriend and how sad he was when they had broken up. So here's the tea. I get a call from my publisher saying to me, What are you doing this afternoon? Uh, If you're not busy, I can get you set up to write with one of the Backstreet Boys. Now, this is after I Want It That Way has exploded. I mean, this is the opportunity of a lifetime. Little did I know, I was the fourth person they called. I was not the first choice to write with with Kevin. So the first person they called had to cancel. The second person, I don't know what happened with each of them, because if it were me, I would have, you know, been delivered in an ambulance if needed to be to write with the, with one of the Backstreet Boys. This was a <laughs> massive opportunity. And it was going to be a three-way co-write with Gary Baker, who is an amazing writer. I can't even count how many Backstreet Boys cuts, not to mention, you know, 
I swear, you know, Grammy winning um, and mm -hmm. mind boggling list of hits. So it was going to be a three way co-write. And I had to cancel a recording session, get right in my car and head to Muscle Shoals, Alabama from Nashville, about a three, three and a half hour drive to write with Gary and Kevin. Now, on the way, I stopped at Walmart and I bought a Backstreet Boys album, the first album. I actually had never heard it. All I knew was the singles. So I studied this album for three hours and I'm racking my brains for ideas because I like to come into a co-writing session with a, with a half a dozen or more great concepts lyrically mm -hmm. or, or little melodic snippets that I think sound fantastic. But I had no time to prepare for this because I never in a million years thought I would get this opportunity. So anyway, I get down to Gary's and Kevin has brought with him. Now, Kevin has never written a song in his life, but he has brought with him this instrumental piano piece that became the introduction to Back to Your Heart and, and played in between the verses, note for note, the way he brought it in. And I was so moved by it. It was just um, beautiful. Anybody who's listened to the song knows that's, that's such an integral part of the recording. And I kept listening to it over and over again, asking, what is this music saying to me? It's yearning, it's longing, it's heartbreak. It's what do I have to do? What do I have to say to get back to your heart? What road do I, and I'm just like spewing this kind of stuff. The reality is they needed me or a third person because neither Gary nor Kevin was strong lyrically. So let's just crack the myth and tell you, I wrote 100% of that lyric. You know, yes, Kevin may be related to it, but he didn't share that with me at the mm -hmm. time. I have since read many times how he wrote that song about his girlfriend. And you know what? He can tell that story as much as he wants, as long as I go to the bank. And um, <laughs> But that's the truth. Um, yeah. The song really came lyrically from me. But Gosh, is there an incredible story about how that song became the song that it is. Gary, you know, just brilliant, uh, amazing writer, took what Kevin had brought in to the collaboration, this beautiful instrumental piano piece, and he expanded it uh, on a keyboard with, with the two of us sitting there and having some input. But Gary, uh, the three of us really crafted what could be a verse and a chorus in terms of the background track. And we were sort of playing with some melodies and things. And after a couple of hours, this was in Alabama in the summertime where I don't have to tell you how hot it was. Gary's mm -hmm. son was going to be playing in a softball game. And they decided, Kevin and Gary, we're going to go out and watch him play softball. And I am sitting there silently thinking, this is the biggest opportunity of my entire life. I am not freaking going to go out in a hundred degree humid weather mm -hmm. to watch somebody play softball. I need to write the best song of my life.
So I said, well, you two go. I'm staying in the air conditioning. Let me work on the song. And they came back and I played them what I had written. Now, by no means am I implying that I wrote this whole song. It was already, you know, before they left, the pieces were there mm -hmm. to a large extent. But I needed to hammer out some of the lyric and really lock it in. So they get back and I play them the song and I see Kevin says, it's really good, man. And I see all over his face. He is not into this song. And in one of those life-changing moments, out of my lips, with no control from me, came, Kevin, I don't know you. You don't know me. I want to tell you something. I want a Backstreet Boys cut way more than I want you to tell me that you like this song, and then you leave, and I never see you again, and you don't cut the song. So tell me what's wrong with this mm -hmm. song. Now, I have at this point written Six Steps to Songwriting Success, which at the time is the number one selling songwriting book on Amazon and anywhere else. And I am asking Kevin, who has never written a song in his entire life, to teach me what's wrong with the song. And he did, because he said to me, you know, gosh, the chorus is just sort of hard to sing. Hard, it's hard to remember. And, you know, and I realized my chorus was going all over the place because I was trying to give them uh, all these special notes and, and unique mm -hmm. things to go to. And it was going up to these higher places and different sections melodically all within the chorus. And when I teach songwriting, I tell people, if you want somebody to remember a melody, repetition is the key repetition is the key and then i repeat myself and say repetition is, is the key, the key. <laughs> i was not incorporating enough repetition in this chorus rhythmically or melodically for a for a six-year-old an eight-year-old to latch on to it and be able to sing back and i said to them just give me five or ten minutes go away get out of the room and let me restructure the chorus. The verses were working great. And um, I did. I really simplified the chorus so that really every line rhythmically was reiterating every other line. The, the uh, pickup line, tell me, then the words to say, the road to take, to find mm -hmm. a way back to your heart. What can I do mm -hmm. to get to you and find a way back to your heart? And once I had that rhythm simplified, then we could create a melody that sold, you know, more than 25 million copies. Well, and, and something that you brought up is very important. And we've talked about it with, with other guests. And I've mentioned it too, is people think, let me throw like the, the kitchen sink at it with notes. Let me have it sing it all over mm -hmm. the place. And it's like, if me, the non-musician, can't sing along with it, I'm not going to listen to it again. You're not doing these whistle tones and these baritone things and these bass notes all in one. It's too much. And Absolutely. I remember hearing like, even though songs are so 
complicated and complex, you need to take it down to the simple, to your point, the simple form. What is not working? Okay, so wait. So the lyrics are fine because some people might take that direction and go, okay, fine, I'll start new. Do you know what I mean? There are some people out there mm-hmm. who wouldn't have that that mentality that you had where it's like, okay, this is what I want. What? Why is it not working for you? And I think that's also having the the gumption to actually say that because I'm sure many people would be like, uh, okay, bye. Like miss that opportunity. But you're like, okay, this is what I want. Let's figure this out. Because if you didn't ask, you wouldn't know. And that would have been the last time you ever, you know, heard the song kind of thing. So absolutely. the other part of this is, you know, Jackson asking what other, how is it to work with somebody if let's say, well, as we now know, not in this case, but if a song is personal, if I'm a, a singer and I bring a song to you and say it's about, you know, my my first love that passed or something mm-hmm. like that, how do you handle that? How do you care for that with trying to bring out the best for the song and not maybe somebody only wants to talk about X amount? Do you know what I mean? Like, how do you handle mm-hmm. that when a song is personal? Because I would feel like that may hold them back from collaborating more. That may stop sure. them from going, no, I don't want to change the song from blue to purple because right. blue is my color. How do you handle that? Right. I tell my songwriting students, don't let the truth get in the way of an amazing song. Let the spark, let the meaning that means so much to you be the fire that gets the song started. But then write the best song that you can write that millions of people will relate to, not only you. We're not writing this for an audience of one. Now, ideally, there will be situations where the artist will feel it's totally reflecting my heart. This is totally what I'm wanting to say. But... There are many instances where I'll say, look, I get this, that this is what happened to you. But your listeners, the tens of millions of people, hopefully, they don't know and they don't care what happened to you or how you feel. They care about how you make them feel. So the goal is to is to go beyond the personal while having it be the heart of the song, but express it in a way so that literally so many more people can say, oh my gosh, he's talking about me. This reminds me, I interviewed a woman when I wrote my first book, Six Steps to Songwriting Success. I interviewed a woman who was the president of the Dolly Parton fan club. club. And what she said was, you know, I I was saying, you know, what is it that makes you so passionate about her music? And her answer was, because I just don't know how she gets inside my heart and knows what I feel. Mm-hmm. And there lies the essence of great songwriting. You know, write about yourself, but in a way that you're writing about your audience. <laughs> 
I want to thank Jason for coming back. And if you haven't listened to my other episodes with him about his work with Britney Spears and Jason, go ahead and check it out on Apple Podcast and Spotify. And while you're there, don't forget to follow and rate the show. I'm an independent podcaster, so all of your support truly helps. And many people are asking me, James, how do I send a letter of love to a future hopeful guest? Super simple. Go to theoriginaldial.com, okay? Scroll down to the bottom, and there's a whole message section. Put down, what is your favorite song? Who is it by? And what question would you have if I get to ask somebody who was in the room? You can do that, enter, send it, and who knows, maybe you'll hear it on a future episode. But we're going to get right to our next guest, returning guest, Alan Rich. Many of you loved the interview with him and his writing partner, Judd Friedman, about Run to You. We kind of go a little bit more in depth about that song and about the NSYNC song. Today, we are joined once again by mega songwriter, hysterical human being, art collector, and so many other things, Alan Rich. Alan, thank you so much for being here today. Hey, James. Hi, everybody. Great to be here. God, our interview was like a year ago. And the amount of love that the song Run To You and even James Ingram, I Don't Have the Heart, got was amazing. And there were so many people that said, I didn't know this one song or that other. I didn't know this. And I go, this is the fun part about what I do, where I can just put new ears on these older songs. Now, there's, I kind of want to back up and if you all haven't listened to the run to you episode go check it out and then come back and and go to this because i want to go a little deeper into run to you before we get to these other songs because you had teased it last time about kind of the lyrics and things like that a little bit about the story so i was wondering if you could kind of go a little bit deeper and just your where you are at who that song was about, about me, but who that song was about and all that sort of great things as kind of a recap and a little bit deeper. Sure. Um, well, the song was written with Judd Friedman and I for specifically for Whitney, but originally, you know, every songwriter got um, got a breakdown of four songs that they were um, looking for for the movie. And we, Judd and I picked the breakup song to write to. And what nobody knew was that I, it coincided with a 10-year breakup in my own life. And that's how the song actually originated. At the same time that we were writing it for Whitney, I was going through the pain of a breakup. And so here's the story, and this is the real story. I had broken up ba- several times, back and forth, back and forth, but this time I knew that this was going to be it. And he was in the car with me. I opened my car door. He got out. He lives in a building, he still does, on Sycamore in Hollywood. And the building has a glass showcase, uh, a staircase. I watched him walk up the staircase. And my initial reaction was to run to him. But what I knew that I couldn't do that anymore. So what I did instead was I pulled out a piece of paper. I put the piece of paper on the steering wheel. And what came out was the original lyric, the breakup lyric, which was, I want to run to you. I want to run to you, just like I always did before, come knocking at your door. I want to run to you, how I want to come to you, but you're not there to run to anymore. Which I thought, I'm still, it was such a powerful, like a punch to the solar plexus. I knew how, Mm -hmm. I knew that 
that it was really special and I also knew the pain that I was feeling. And then I wrote these lyrics, you know, um, uh, and then Judd came in and um, helped me with the lyric and we worked on the music together. And and then we had to rewrite it because it was it changed from a breakup song to a take a chance on me song. And so what ended up in the movie was I want to run to you. I want to run to you. Won't you take me in your arms? Keep me safe from harm. I want to run to you. But if I come to you, will you stay or will you run away? Mm-hmm. So, which is really nice too. Mm-hmm. But, um, and um, so that's the story behind uh, Run to You. And that's why if you feel all this emotion, Judd is an amazingly inspirational uh, melody writer. And um, the pain you feel and the vulnerability is from the reality of my situation at the time. This is the, oh my goodness, this is... Wait, goosebumps when you hear what those are and then what you were able to evolve it into. And for us that have known for three decades that original version of the song and then to go, because you hinted, we talked before about, you know, the lyrics were different. We kind of altered them. But I think what's amazing is that true storytelling, both of those songs on their own, separate of a movie, would work. Both of those lyrics would work and because this was kind of tailor-made to the movie we can't use this one let's go this way Mm -hmm. but the amount of people that just said they never even thought you could go in there and somebody could say yeah we want the song but you need to go back in and change the intent of the song you know what i mean the director came to us and said we love your song but we changed the scene from a breakup scene to take take a chance on a scene this is what he said literally it wouldn't be a big deal to rewrite the whole lyric right Mm mm-mm Mm-mm. And we thought, you've got to be kidding. But we didn't say that. We said, oh, no problem. And then we hung up the <laughs> and we both have a heart attack. It's like actors. Do you know how to you know, ride a horse? Yes. And then you figure out how to ride a horse. <laughs> well, you know, thank God it worked. Does, by the way, did that specific, did that ex know he was the... Of course. Yeah, I'm, he's still in my life, at, you know, um, 30 years later. He's still my friend. I see him occasionally. And we, we help each other out when we need be. But I, I said, how many people in their lifetime get to get to hear how many millions of people with their, their tops down on their convertibles blasting Whitney Houston hearing a song? And you know that that song was written with you in mind. And um, I mean, it was written, written for Whitney, but the pain of it came from this person. And um, and plus, I bought him an incredible present um, when it became a, a big song because he had always wanted to go to dyslexia school because he was dyslexic. And I sent him to, to dyslexia school. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> this is like this onion that just keeps unwrapping. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's what, that was his present for, for being inspiration. So would you say... Percentage-wise, how many of the songs that you've written have been from your personal experience versus kind of the outside person looking in? Maybe three or four about actual people. I'll tell you. A, I'll tell you a song about some one other person. Um, I wrote this lyric called "If Anything Ever Happened to You" that BB and CC Winans recorded. It was mm-hmm. a love song, but then we had to alter it for BB and CC to sing because they're brother and sister and not lovers. But I don't know why I'm, I'm getting so much personal information, my God. But there was a person that I had, this happened a long time ago, and I, she shall remain nameless, but he knows who he is. Um, 
I had met him. I had met him at Twenty Four Hour Fitness, and he was the most handsome person I had ever met. And I wanted to ask him out on a date, but I he was way above my pay grade in terms of how handsome he was. And one day I had an, enough nerve to ask him, and he said yes. And we went out on a few dates, and the first time I actually slept over at his house, I just was watching him sleep. I just was up and I just looked at him. And um, I wrote a song and I wrote the chorus because he looked so like an angel. And then he was standing, he was, he was standing at a mirror, a full-length mirror, that, and he had beautiful natural blonde uh, hair, and he had, it was very buff, and he had just a like a sadder kind of body. He was just a beautiful person in baby blue eyes and, and darkish, dark, was blondish brown, but, um, and and the chorus was, if anything ever happened to you, I couldn't go on. I wouldn't know what to do. It would be over. My life would be through if anything ever happened to you. And that was just from the first time. Oh, wow. I, I just looked at him while he was, and the second verse is, I watch you sleeping at night. It's such a beautiful, uh. the thought of it makes me cry. I don't think I'd ever survive if anything ever happened to you. I couldn't go on. And that was just from meeting him, you know, the first time I slept wow. over the house. And we we still still to this day we don't see each other very often. We still remain friends. I'm I'm I write all these romantic songs, but I'm not the most uh, relationship oriented person. So um, I wish I was, but um, but anyway, that song was written about him, and I wrote one song about my aunt. But other than that, I get in, I written a song for Alita Adams that was inspired by all my friends who died of AIDS, and mm. that's. That's called We Will Meet Again. That's on uh, her album that I wrote with Dick mm -hmm. Russell. And then I wrote one other song. I wrote um, a song with Judd that Ray Charles recorded the gospel song called So Help Me God. And I wrote that lyric about myself when I was really in a dark period in my life. And I needed help from God. And I just was asking God for some help. So, But, but otherwise than that, I, I use my, my imagination, but I haven't specifically. So maybe five or six songs out of the hundreds that I've written. See, this is the part that's that's amazing about this is to learn that not only are you a storyteller with your own experience, but you can also take yourself out of that situation and go, okay, what are we looking for? You can kind of get into not another character, but get into another yeah, situation. It is like getting into a character. It is. That's so, writer. yeah, you have to, yeah. especially if you're writing with an artist or you're trying to write for an artist, you just have to. Yeah, you have to wear a lot of different hats. Well, that's one of those things because so many times people are like, you know, how did this man write for this woman, like this artist? And it's like mm -hmm. a good song is a good song. You can change she to he, they, whatever you need it to be. Um, but also putting yourself in that situation. And so many times guests on the show have said, I thought if I was in this recording artist's position, knowing what I know or what they've gone through, what story would I tell? How can I tell a story differently than what's already been told? Because that's the other thing. I tried to do that a whole entire careers. Mm -hmm. you know, I always tried to move and touch people. You know, we were told, don't don't write ballads. Nobody records them. But Jen and I had a knack. We had, I think we did it better than most people. And and that's what we did better than, you know, that was, that was our thing. And so how could we not write what we were born to write, even though people told us not to do it? And yet our biggest songs have all been ballads. You can't listen to everybody. You have to do what your heart tells you to do. 
By the way, it was funny because I got a couple messages from people after the episode came out last year, and they were like, "James, when you see them in person, give them hugs." Like <laughs> they, I was because they're just like so many people are like, "This was the song that hurt my heart, or that it really got me." And I think it's that soul changing thing where those songs speak for us, the listeners. I think I told you this when I don't have the heart came out. Um, Luther Bandros reached out to me. Did I tell you that? Mm-hmm. And said to me, every time that song comes on, I have to shut it off because it hurts me so bad. And I thought that was the ultimate compliment because mm-hmm. it's a very, very painful song about, you know, someone loving you and you not loving them back quite the same way. Well, and I think what's been amazing is that you all having success you know having these songs having careers in the 80s 90s after is that there's such a different generation of people that bought that bodyguard album then and now we're going to talk about like the NSYNC album with thinking about you I drive myself crazy that like two different age groups can go that song I loved and when they actually look at the the liner notes like wait Alan is on both of these so I wanted to. I, what's interesting is my best friend Jamon Green, who used to be an executive in the music industry. He he worked. He was a marketing executive at A and M, and um, and Motown, and and uh, in fact, he worked with the Janet Jackson record. Um, but I didn't know him at the. I didn't know him at the time. But he used. To, he said to me, "I used to look at the, you know the days when you had records and you'd go to look at the the liner notes and see who wrote them." He says, "I used to see this." name alan dennis rich on all these black r&b records i just couldn't he said then when i met you and saw you were a white guy i just couldn't believe that you were involved in so many really r&b songs with so many different artists and um and that's just the truth you know um my dad if i always had a strong connection to the black community and my dad if you may he rest in peace he showed us his school um album and his and so that was my you know his best friend and there the two of them were at the beach together, um and his photo album at the beach together and like I don't know what year it was but it certainly wasn't in fashion for a white guy and a black guy to be together but my that's oh that was my best friend, and so uh-huh. you know, so it just shows you and and my dad you know I told you this as well every Sunday morning he would he would um pull out the Victrola after mm-hmm. breakfast. Sundays, he made us a real Jewish breakfast with lox and eggs and, and white fish, typical Jewish breakfast. And then he would go <laughs> into the living room and pull out the Victrola. And he would play Billie Holiday. He would play Sarah Vaughan. And he would be just uh, Count Basie. And he knew every single person who played every single instrument. And his eyes lit up. I think that's probably why I became a songwriter because I saw such joy in his face. Mm-hmm. But he loved, he knew all the artists and he and I was exposed to these kind of artists that most probably people wouldn't have been. But he loved them. And he took me to see Carmen McRae. He took me to see Lena Horn. He took me to see Frank Sinatra. Goodness. So you were getting schooled and educated in the most real, truest, seeing yeah. these artists in their elements and... Those were also, and those were storytellers with their words. What they said, you believe every every artist that you said. It's like you would think every song that they wrote because the way that they sold these songs, and then you look and go, that wasn't the case for most people in that in that generation yeah. of singers. That was my dad. 
and uh, he exposed us to all the stuff at a very young age. Some of you may say, I know the song, but I don't know that remix of it. Well, that's Rip Rock and Alex G's remix. And as many of you know, if you listened to the show before, I've been able to interview Alex Greggs about so many of the great songs he's worked on with NSYNC, Britney Spears, and so many others. And we have a bunch of episodes coming up soon. But I wanted to add this in here because this was still at the time where remixes were really beneficial to an artist. And we talked about it with Jive Records, A&R, somebody who worked with Backstreet Boys, somebody who dealt with NSYNC, Britney Spears, and so many others, Steve Lunt. And we talked about the benefits of these remixes. So I reached out to Alex and I asked him, can you kind of talk about this? What are your thoughts about this? Because before he had mentioned that it was one of his favorite remixes he ever did. Alex said, the remix was such a vibe. Our studio at the time was downtown Toronto, a few blocks away from where a few illegal booze cans, aka raves, where they were, got into a super trance chill vibe and went back to the studio and knocked that remix out. It felt like that was the night we knew was going to get crazy. Out of everything, that night was one of my fondest memories of my entire life. So that remix is such a vibe that I try not to listen to it, but only once in a while, like a fine wine. So I want to ask you this. Have you heard any of those remixes? Let me know. Add me on Instagram, the.original.doll. Comment or add me on Patreon, theoriginaldoll.com. And NSYNC fans, if you are looking for some new NSYNC material, have no fear. There's going to be an official video for Better Place coming soon. And you might see some amazing fans doing some amazing choreography. Be on the lookout for that. But we're going to get on to the episode. these letters of love about the song because i bet you'll be able to answer several of these now for those who don't know it's thinking of thinking of you i drive myself crazy and so many people were like wait in my country it's called i drive myself crazy in my country it's called and we'll get into that in 1999 the song charted in spain number four netherlands top 40 hit at 14 canada top sales we have carrie from thailand please james please 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 drive myself crazy by nsync make it make sense i bought so many albums with it on there i have never seen a song be on so many different albums with different covers different names it is my favorite song i ever played as a kid and still makes me happy today please talk about that evolution then we have bernice from scotland Love listening to your interview with Alan Rich about Whitney Houston Run to You. I did what you said and I pulled out my old CDs and looked at the album credits. And what do I see? But my favorite NSYNC song, Thinking of You, I Drive Myself Crazy, was written by Alan Rich. Ask him about the inspiration of this song. And can you find out why Chris sings the lead on one version of it and JC sings the lead on the other version of it? Thank you. Last question we have. 
is Michael from Ireland. James, I love the original doll. I love listening to Alan Rich. His voice is so good. I looked up a picture. He is daddy. Can you ask him about making this song with NSYNC? Ask him how the title gets a parenthesis on it. Does it help a songwriter to have punctuation there or not? This is the best boy band since anything Jackson 5 released. Okay, I'll tell you how the song happened. <laughs> yes. A lot to unpack there. I think I was signed to BMG at the time, and Carla Berkowitz, who's now Carla Andrasik, married to John Andrasik from Five for Fighting. Um, and um, she was my publisher. She was a great publisher. And she came to me one day and said, um, I'll just, I'm going a little ahead of the game, but she said, this group is going to be recording your song. I drive myself crazy. I said, who? She said, this group name in sync. I said, who are they? I never heard of them. Well, little did I know, 10 million records later on the first record, you know. Mm, but that how, diamond. How it happened was um, legendary songwriter Ellen Shipley and Rick Knowles, who was in the Songwriters Hall of Fame, who wrote all the Linda Carlisle's Circle in the Sand, mm. uh, Heaven is a Place on Earth. They were a writing team and they were a, they were a fantastic writing team. And for whatever reason, at the time, they were not talking to each other. And they were not writing with each other. And I was friends with both of them. And I wanted to somehow make a healing so that they can get together. And because they wrote such great songs and it was whatever the reason was, I don't know what the reason was, but I wanted to see if I could fix it. Oh. So I could fix it by me. I said, you know, I've always wanted to write a song with you guys. Let's maybe, can we just um, get in a room and try something? So that was the first, I think it was one of the first times they came back together again after not talking to each other. They had, I drive myself crazy, part of it written, but they were stuck on a, on part of the song. And they read me what they had. And I, um, I think they had, I like, even the verse, um, the verse, I think, I, I can't remember if it was there or not, but the chorus was, I, drive, I lie awake. I lie awake, I drive myself crazy, drive myself crazy, thinking of you. And I think I said, made a mistake when I let you go, baby. Made a mistake when I let you go, baby. I drive myself crazy, wanting you the way that I do. Wanting you I drive myself crazy wanting you the way I think that's how it morphed into that from me throwing out the, some of those lines and then suddenly the song suddenly made sense and we were able to continue working on it together and finishing it but it, I just came it's in amazing. to fix it not not only on the lyric but on the friendship um and so I never expected you know they were both very very successful songwriters but I didn't expect that what, when Carla came to me and said it's going to be on the sync record, and I gave it no credence because I didn't know who the hell they were. <laughs> Since we're talking about boy bands, I'll go back a little further to 1985. Mm -hmm. I, got you know, I got discovered in 1982 by Howie Rice, the record producer, and, and the first record that I, songs I wrote with him was for the Patti LaBelle Winner in You record. And then I wrote the, um, the Gladys Knight song, Love It On Next To Nothing with him. And then I wrote three Barry Manilow songs with him and Barry Manilow um, on his RCA, the one RCA record, the Manilow record. And then he was working with 
the group Menudo, and they were doing an American record. And Ricky Ricky Martin was just, if I should see the picture, he's a, I don't think he's even 10 or 11. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wrote three songs for them in 1985, not expecting anything. And, you know, the, because they weren't that famous for their, they were not famous doing English. They were most probably famous doing Spanish. Mm-hmm. Spanish. Spanish. The record still sold 300,000 copies and I had three songs on the record. But um, but it didn't go like global because it was in English. But it's that was my foray into the boy bands. And I went to the studio and I watched them record the songs. I have pictures with them still. I have pictures. I went to um, in sync Christmas concert. Um, that was an amazing, amazing experience because it was my first time being maybe there were 8,000 mothers with their kids and when my song when they sang my song I looked around and I I just could not believe that everybody knew every single lyric to my song and they were all singing it together it it humbled me so it made me have tears in my eyes because I just couldn't believe that they all knew my my words you know um and then they took us backstage and that oh that was <laughs> when I I think it was what's his name Joey Joey he's my uh, favorite Joey Fatone he's, he's so much fun such a great guy but Joey took me backstage and he introduced me to Janet Jackson I thought I was gonna because she was backstage I just could not believe that I said hello to Janet Jackson and it's not what you expect at all. Here you are, you know, a year before you're like, who is NSYNC? They got it. And then they're the ones that ultimately bring you to, and you know how I feel about Janet Jackson. She's just amazing. Yeah. I mean, how caught off guard were you that it's like, I, I was kind of stupid. I said, oh, we should write together sometime. Or some stupid little, I gave her my card. Oh, I was just so, so silly, you know, but, but anyway, it's- it- it was a great experience, and I have pictures of it. And um, and you know, I've, I've since then I met Lance because you know Lance lives in West. You know his club is in West Hollywood. I've met him at one or two events. I met Justin when he was trying. I'm a member of the Academy who was trying to get his song nominated for um, tro- from Trolls. I um, and so they had a private lunch for him that I was at. I mean, I I don't really have a relationship with any of them, but in that moment I did when they invited me backstage. And they knew I was the Christmas. They invited a batch of people who had songs on the Christmas record and who had songs on this other record, and um, and it was a it was a memorable experience. But those are my two forays into boy bands. And as I as I told you earlier, the biggest what I've made two or three very big faux pas in my life. One of them was when I was on the first and sync record. I probably had carte blanche blanche. Um, carte blanche to be in, in on any boy band record because I had the reputation that I was on the first and sync record and I was waiting for my publishers to do it and they didn't jump up and rise to the occasion and I didn't rise to the occasion and I missed some literally gold and platinum opportunities um, but you know it is what it is I, I'm still very proud that I was on the NSYNC, first and sync record and that's the best part about the storytelling, because the thing is, the song made us all 
feel like this we knew what was going on like us because i'm around the same age as as like uh justin and i just think i remember being like 16 and 17 oh it's the end of the world i drive myself like when you listen to those songs and it's like you feel like it was written only for you that no one else and that's great music that makes you feel a part of it when you write something that's universal that so many people feel and we trust me we've all been there when we we made a mistake in our relationship and we lost it because we screwed up. All of us have been in that place. I've been in that place several times. <laughs> I have. Um, and so, oh, and so maybe um, that's why those lines came to me. But that's, if I my recollection is correct, that's what I remember my main, my initial contribution was being writing the end of the chorus. And then, of course, we worked on the second verse together and stuff and the bridge. So real, you know, I love it. Well, and we had one last question for you, and this is kind of what you were getting into. Hal from Sweden asked, James Rodriguez, I love learning about songs from people who make them. I bought the songs you talked about after hearing you talk about songs with Mr. Alan Rich. Can you ask, are boy bands good to work for? Do they look good on your resume? And does he create songs differently for a group versus one person? That's a... First of all, I'm happy if anybody records my songs because you never know what's going to stick and be it be something that blows up and one that you expect to blow up totally fizzles. So just getting a record is an amazing thing, and it's hard enough to do it today more than more than ever because um, you can't just pitch a song to a recording artist anymore. It's just not the way it's done. But in terms of a boy band. I don't think it's plus or minus. I would. I loved getting my songs equipped. Boy bands were so hot, and they still are. Look, look at how many years later, um, Backstreet Boys is still so hot. New Kids on the Block are so hot. Uh, they do tours every. I mean, every year, it never goes out of style. And I think you have to think differently when you're writing for a boy band because you know that certain pe- voices are going to take certain lines, and then you have to prepare for harmonies. You have to. You eventually have to know who's going to sing the the first verse, so you know the key. Is he a tenor or is he the baritone or is he? You know. So, um, you know, ultimately the producer is responsible for that. We write the song. We try to think. You know, I I didn't think about writing. I drive myself crazy with Ellen and and uh, Rick for a boy band. I didn't. It didn't. That's where it ended up, but it wasn't my intention or our intention. You just write it and then you try to see where it sticks, you know? See, I love this. And I think what you're talking about too is it's, as a songwriter, you just want your song heard. It doesn't matter if it's a solo artist. I still want my songs heard today. And it's very frustrating that they they don't. I thank God for the career that I had, but I still want to I still want to be relevant. And I still want my, I still feel I have important things to say. It's just, I might not have the connections that I used to have. So, you know, it is what it is. I can't I can't cry over spilt milk. I have to be grateful for that. To even be a success in the music industry is so challenging that if you've even had a modicum of success or even been able to make a living as a songwriter, 
you already won the game. There you go. I love that. And we're going to end it right there. Alan, thank you so much for being back here and have no fear, everyone. We're going to have Alan back because all of you always message me a ton saying, can you ask about this? And Alan is here. Happy, James, you're a wonderful interview and a really great person. So I'm happy to do it whenever you need me. Sounds good. All right, everyone. I'll see you on the flip side. Okay, bye. So NSYNC fans, Backstreet fans, boy band fans, over the next several months, we're going to be releasing episodes with interviewers, songwriters who did production, songwriting, remixing, and more. And we're not just talking about those big global number one hits, which we'll talk about those, but we're also talking about those deep cuts, the ones that you've all sent me messages about. So make sure that you subscribe and rate the show. Tell other friends about it. The more listeners we get, the more we can keep branching out. Thank you so much for listening, and let me know. Hit me up in my DMs, the.original.dal on Instagram. What's your favorite boy band song? Let me know. Hit me up in my DMs. Add me on Patreon. And we have a lot more Britney Spears coming up very soon. And be on the lookout for that quotes collection of merchandise. You'll hear about it soon. My name is James Rodriguez. Thanks for joining me. I'll see you on the flip side.